Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. everyone welcome to uh the ted j2 talks together collaboration where we are talking about what's happening at the moment james what is happening at the moment mate i do not know but i tell you one thing (laughs) everybody seems to be shitting themselves everywhere i look there's a lot of negative negativity going around um but having said that there's still a lot of people carrying on doing their thing buying stuff all those things have got a lot more difficult in terms of with solicitors and stuff um yeah it seems to be you're either really really scared or you're kind of marginally scared like i am and just carrying on yeah i think like it's interesting you said that people are carrying on because me and d who's been on your on your podcast we're looking at some properties together and we looked at some at auction and like we kind of there was one for example it was on for 20 grand which obviously is just madness as is it was one of these like dumb guide prices it was going to go above and we were like looking at at 25 we were like you know what if it stays at 25 we'll just buy it because it's a deal every day of the week and uh, this morning it sold or literally 15 minutes ago it sold for 41,000 pounds now our max bid was about 35 so if anyone's doing brr they can't go past 33 35 on this However, it sold at what I think is probably a bit too much for it. And yes, it's lot number one, but we're in the middle of a fucking crisis where you can't get surveyors out, you you can't leave your house, and yet people are, you know, overpaying for stuff. And like looking through the auction catalogue and the auction I was at, I think two weeks ago, that just like everything sold and everything sold for like a decent-ish price. And I'm like who's buying these it's not us right like mm-hmm. i think it's like i think i think people who like don't do like buy refurbish refinance people who just buy with cash they leave their money you know 25 cent deposit i'm leaving that in refurb i'm leaving it in they're buying now because for them the reval doesn't matter because they're just like you know what i mean they're kind of they're expecting to leave so much in so i think there's always going to be people who will carry on buying no matter what and obviously rich people but yeah like some people really just are not phased by it um what is your like are you seeing the same thing in your auctions and where you invest yeah it's funny you say that because i was on um i was online with the london auction only about a week ago and again it was the same thing i'm watching some lots and now i knew these lots were going to go for a lot more than they normally would go for because they're London lots. They always, the guy price might be 350 and it goes for like 600. So I always knew it was going to go for a lot higher. But one thing that really got me was, first of all, it's the first virtual auction that uh, London House have done in, in the London branch have done. And he said that they had over 800 people there because he could see his live screens. He said there was 800 live people on the auction ready to bid. Now I thought to myself, the world's coming to an end here. People are yeah. shooting themselves. <laughs> but you got man sitting at home, ready with their mouse, just clicking away. 
Lot number one comes up, 100,000 over guide. And everything is selling. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell's going on here? I'm here at this auction thinking, you know what? I'm probably going to be the only person sitting there in my underpants, ready to bid. I've got the mouse ready. Double check the batteries in the mouse as well in case they run out halfway through. Professional. And, um, and everything's selling. And I'm just thinking to myself, wow, it doesn't seem to have phased anyone. Could it have been that it was too early in the day and people are thinking, you know what? Uh, this is all a bit of a joke, this COVID. Maybe it's just not going to take effect like they're saying it is. Or was it that people just are not scared? You know, the other thing that came to my mind was it's probably a lot of people that have got a lot of money sitting around just thinking, you know what? Now is the time for me to park it into something and just leave it in an investment um, because I'm earning soddle in the bank. Um, and if things are collapsing slowly around us, I don't want to take the risk of my money being in a bank if that should happen. That's that's interesting, you know. I think like to see people still going hell for leather where prices are very expensive means like big money is still buying. And I think there's someone or smarter people than us, these economists, whatever, of property say like the auction market kind of um is a signal for the wider market. And I don't know how true it is, but I've heard it a lot from like people who are very, very experienced. And it's it's crazy to think that like people in London, which is obviously its own like market in itself, right? which I don't understand, you do a million times better, to think that people are still putting money in, like, and on an auction where inherently there's more risk, there's more challenges, there's more issues. It's not like an agent where you're like, you know what, you know, it's sound. It's like auction, you could buy, you could accidentally buy the doorstep because you didn't read the legal pack and you thought you bought the whole house, which like stuff like that has happened before. Like I've heard the horror stories. So it's just, uh, maybe it's one of these, maybe it's like foreign money. Maybe it's people are just like, you know what? London's always safe. It's the coolest city ever. We're just going to put money in. Um, But the point you made about like banks not making any money, that's interesting. I saw it the other way. I saw it maybe what I'm doing, which is I'm keeping money in a bank or in something below the, you know, 85k protection, whatever, for this time when I may need cash. But you're saying people are maybe doing the opposite, but I guess they have a lot more money to play with, right? Mm. It was it was it was really, really weird because when you looked at the all uh, sorry, the results as well for London auction houses uh lots sold for that day, it was the highest in the whole year. And I'm what? thinking, what is going on here? It's like they raised, I think, £14 million from that sale. There was a lot of lots that went through. There was a few withdrawals like you have all the time. But having said that, when I looked at the results at the end of it, it was the, one of the high, if not the highest, it was one of the highest percentage of lots sold and the highest amount of money raised. I mean, do you, and it was their first online auction, right? Their first, very first online auction, yes. Which is, I mean, you know, congrats to them and big success. But like, do you think it was more the fact that it was online? Because like, you've you've bid online before, I've bid online before. And for anyone who hasn't bid, it is very, uh, it's like spending money on a card. Nothing leaves your your person. So, you you know, like people get into debt because you just spend a card. Ain't no my money. Cash is different. I think in an auction room, it feels like you're, you're bidding with cash. But online, it feels like you're bidding with a card because you're like, oh, it's just some numbers on a screen. And it doesn't, like when I look at these bids, it doesn't register the same. Like it's not the same intensity or emotion 
as when I'm mm-hmm. in the room and I see, oh, she bid that much, he bid that much. So maybe it's because it's online, it detracts the whole ego and the whole like, I don't know, maybe the emotional, maybe people just don't realise because it's like just a game. I don't know. And they've obviously made it that way, of course, because they're here to make money and they've, you know, they've gamified it and they've done it in a certain way or within laws, I'm sure. But like, do you think the online method makes people more likely to just spend more? I, I, I agree in the sense that I think it's easier just to be clicking away when you're in your house because you haven't got all those emotions around you. But I've got to give it to the auctioneer. When I've done some research into the auctioneer, he's actually one of the owners of London Auction House who was running the auction. And he was playing a very shrewd game. You know, he's looking into the webcam and saying, come on, Mr. J, this bid's against you. Come on, Mr. S, let's do this. Another 500. I tell you what, I'll take a quarter if you're quick enough. And I'm thinking, you're in this room and your emotions are going and there's only you in this room looking at this one guy on the screen. You're thinking, damn, he's got me going as much as he would get me going in a live auction room. So I think to a certain degree, yes, it's easier to be clicking away because you can't see the person that you're bidding against. Mm. And they just refer to you as Mr. J or Mr. S or Mrs. This, Mrs. This. Um, And uh, I reckon a lot of people got carried away. A lot of people at home sitting there, they can't read the other person's emotions because when you're in an auction room, you can generally see when someone's getting to the end of their of their kind of their their limit and they start shaking they start looking around it's a bit of a no they start wobbling their head but when you're online you're thinking damn i don't know who am i bidding against i don't know the person i can't see them it could be anyone it could be you know i know it wouldn't be one of their lot but could it be somebody just from auction house sitting there bidding it up you just don't know what's going on yeah i think like it's a good point and i love that about auctions i love seeing the emotion because half the half the winning a bid as much as it's literally money talks it's also psychology talks because i've i've bid before where i know the way in which i've bid has put people off or it stopped people bidding or it's made them think oh fuck he's got loads of money when i was like i ain't got no more money (laughs) just just because of the way i did it and there's certain techniques which like you can implement which will win you lots i i know that factually and i've seen others win it like that as well but yeah online you just have no idea. And so it, it, it literally is just like, I don't know, it's not as fun in my opinion, but it's, it's, it's more just like money does talk. That's the only, what else have you got, right? Like you can't put people off. You can't, like relationship means nothing. Like it's, and also it's interesting that he, like the auctioneer was like doing an auction because the two online that I've seen, one had the auctioneer live on Facebook. So it wasn't really that sort of, relevant or linked the other one didn't, didn't have any auctioneers live so both of them were just pure like here's the here's the platform go go bid which i think was to their detriment you know because mm-hmm. you don't have the auctioneer goading you and working their magic in your face which um which is quite interesting so uh, moving on i guess from what well, next maybe staying on auctions because we both have auction purchases in in the ether of of legals and all this sort of stuff you recently purchased a property. Tell us about that. Yeah, I recently <laughs> purchased something that I didn't want to purchase, but somehow ended up purchasing. Again, like you stated, it was all, it was just emotion, you know, I kind of, I went against every single thing that I would do normally. You know, I would spend some time evaluating a deal, sending it over, having the legal pack reviewed properly and, you know, really making some decisions about it. Now, I was on the auction looking at, 
I think about three London lots that I was very, very interested in. Now, again, they just went way, way, way over the guide. Like I'm talking 250, 280 over guide. So, you know, really, really strong lots. Now, just as I'm coming to the end of the auction, I think, what is this? Lot 129. And it's the last lot. And I'm thinking, okay, I've seen this in auction a few times. I reviewed the legal pack and it's in my... Did you review the legal pack? Well, (laughs) I think maybe you kind of reviewed it for me just very quickly. Um, In fact, you did, yes. Um, So I I had a brief look over the legal pack. Now, I knew it had a short lease at 69 years, but... Which is not that bad. No, no, it's not. But if you think about it, Ted, at the price of a second-hand car, I'm thinking, <laughs> I've got to get this, you know, and it just come up. It's in my investment area of the Northeast or just outside. I knew it wasn't. In fact, I know it isn't the best area where it will rent very, very quickly. But what it will be, it's one of those vanilla buy-to-lets. If I get the right tenant in there, they will be there for five years. And within four years, it will pay me back whatever I've put into it. Mm. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to take a punt. I'm going to buy it. I set my limit at £24,000. And, you know, it, it got to 23 and a half and the guy bids. It goes in quarters. I put in 24 and I win it. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I didn't think I was going to win this. You know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yes. what have I just done? I went downstairs and told my wife, obviously me and my, me and my wife, we own the company together. And she's like, she goes, I really am a silent partner, isn't it? She goes, you just, you just, you just tell me when like things need signing or when, or when money's about to drop or you're buying something, you know, or you show me something. She goes, I just, she goes, why am I even a partner? You just tell me stuff right at the end of it. Not that she cared anyway, but still. So <laughs> we ended up buying this three bedroom, place which is above some shops you know there's a bus stop outside there's a hospital close by it's a mile and a half away from uh from the local town center and train center so all the it's got some positives on there um very short lease going to try and extend the lease if we can but again like you said it could have very very easily have gone wrong i could have bought a doorstep or i could have just bought a portion of land because the way some of these older leases are drafted is in a it's in a different language, and this is where I've got to give it to you. You obviously understand this <laughs> language very, very well because you very quickly looked over it and said, oh, I can't really see there being any major issues, but there may be something in the headline lease, you know. But and that's exactly what the what my legal guys identified as well. But my my thing to you would be if you're new, you do not want to be doing what I did. hundred percent. No. Do your homework, do your figures. Do everything that you're taught to do. I went against every single thing, every single thing everybody's ever taught me, everything against my own kind of auction checklist and bought it. Now, I spoke to an agent yesterday, a real nice guy who's grown up in the area, and he said to me straight, he goes, look, he goes, it's not a bad buy at what you paid. He goes, but you may have trouble getting a tenant. He goes, my advice would be stick a tenant in there, a good tenant, do it up, and flip the deal because he goes if you flip it with a tenant in it the yields are going to look so attractive that somebody down south will have that off you like you yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think that's that's a really good like case study i think there's a few things there so firstly the shop it's above uh is it a hot takeaway or is it a news agent or what is it 
Well, it's uh, it's one of these trendy new caps. So one of these you know, ones that sells all the posh okay. coffees. You may have you thought about the fact you might struggle getting it on a mortgage. Uh, I've bought it cash, so I don't need a mortgage on it. Fine. If you were going to do BRR for anyone listening, if it's I think it's if it's like an A one hot takeaway or hot food, which I'm not sure calf might be like A three something. Mm-hmm. You can struggle because of obviously the fumes, the smell, the fire risk to get a mortgage on the top, or it may be more expensive at lower LTV. So that's the first thing that people should like think about. I think you know what going against everything you've learned and taught as much as like yes it can and will sting you this time it hasn't which is not a good thing for people to hear because you shouldn't do that like what what the ideal would have been was look through all the auction lots find 129 read the legal pack before if you want to get a solicitor to look at it whatever and then bid for it that's like the what you should do right but property is one of those things you could have done all that and it could have been a shit deal you could do none of it and have an amazing deal. It's just like, it's so hard to be like, do the right thing because sometimes you still fuck up. So there's some interesting points there. And I think also with the legals, yeah, like I don't have public indemnity liability insurance, anyone listening, so I'm not giving legal advice. But once you understand these things and when you're interested in reading them, you know, I don't get solicitors to read my legal packs. I... Okay, look, actually one of my sisters said to me, Ted, look, mate, if, if you're, if you're going to buy one, if you know that you're, you, you're going to secure it, like, you know, because of whatever, send it to me. Honestly, I'll spend 10, 15 minutes reading it. I'm not going to charge you, you know, because they get in the business, but I'll just let you know, should you or should you not? Because he would, ra- I guess he'd rather not have a headache later down the line when I'm like, hey, mate, can you fix this? Can you, can you fix this legal problem? So relationships are really important here. Like you said, with your legal guy, me and him said the same thing, which is cool uh take that law degree no, i'm kidding um <laughs> but like yeah there's a, there's a few learnings from there which i'm sure you know but it's important we pull those out for people watching and listening that there's certain ways to do things right because i heard a story actually but i think it was a london auction where someone bought like i don't know you know these typical london houses i don't know where it was let's say somewhere like south london and it was like you know the picture of it was like a nice sort of one like three sort of window blocks so it's like a big building beautiful uh sort of facade like you know old architecture whatever i can't remember what it went for but it was easily like 200 ish grand something like that right so i think still like really cheap well i think it's probably a bit more but still cheap for london but maybe suspiciously cheap anywho it turns out he bought the facade you serious yep so he bought like literally the the front bricks or there's some legal i don't know what it was he bought the legal title to the facade or something like just the front of it and everything behind it was well just belonged to whoever because didn't read the legal pack and just thought that's bloody cheap for for the picture looks good and then obviously the auctioneers are not always that explicit uh and he and he bought that and obviously was left with something that has no real well i mean i'm sure it has value but you know can't get a mortgage on it so what value does it have in in some shape or form right so that's interesting that is very interesting you know what i think i think it's okay to not view a property but it's not okay to not read the legal pack do you agree yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm laughing because 
I didn't view the property. I didn't read the legal pack. I briefly skimmed over it. <laughs> and the, the thing with yours, right, which could have been really painful, is the fact that it's leasehold. If it was freehold, you know, there's a lot more forgiveness, right, from like the house because it's like, well, I am the lord of this this land, whereas mm. now you're not. And that's the problem with leasehold. And even solicitors will sometimes charge you more to conveyance on them and to read them because they're just long, man. Like, you know, the one in yours, the freaking head lease and under lease were like seven, eight pages of Shakespeare writing. So Yeah, he has done. He has charged me a few hundred quid extra because it's leasehold. And I'm thinking, oh, man, come on, you're taking a piss out of me. Then he's like, have you seen those 14 pages at the back that I need to read and (laughs) analyse? I was like, oh, okay. Okay. To be honest, he's taking the piss, and they always do because, like, half of that stuff is just jargon and extra words that mean, oh, you know, the purchaser doesn't get access to the mining. All the houses I buy, it says, you don't own the mines underneath the house. James George Orwell of, of the second Earl owns it. And I'm like, oh, I don't give a shit. So <laughs> some things they'll, um, they'll sort of play at you on. Solicitors, let's move on to that. How are you finding solicitors are behaving, if they ever do, in this pandemic? You still getting stuff done? Um, I am and I'm not. I find there's a lot of them that are taking advantage of this, especially the ones that work for firms have kind of just gone underground. You know, they're the ones that are just kind of like, oh, no, it's COVID-19. Sorry, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm working from home and only working on very, very important cases. And I thought, no, you're not. You're sitting at home in your underpants, you know, like everybody else, probably just putting on a tie when your boss needs to see you on the <laughs> webcam and you're doing nothing. So the corporates that work for big firms, I'm finding they're the very difficult ones. The mm. smaller independent firms have been really, really good, actually. Really good. Um, I've had uh, one that's I've got a remortgage going through at the moment as well. And we were talking about this briefly yesterday with the independent legal advice. And they actually came back this morning and said that, look, um, yeah, Foundation have actually set up a system where they're accepting it all on video calls, which but is de- just amazing. But, but they've been accepting it on video calls for like the past three months. Yeah, but the last time I did one with them was six months ago and you had to go in. Ah, because I did a remortgage with them. The first one I did was about three, four months ago and it was on, mm. it was on video. So they must have changed it in between us then. Yeah, because it's a ball ache, you know, like independent legal advice. Like for us, it's, you know, two directors. We've got to go down, we've got to go and see a solicitor. My wife has to sit there, just listen to this spiel and sign this paper. And even she says it. She says, why the hell can this just not be done over a video call? You know, they're literally just reading this text out to me and, and watching me sign this bit of paper. And then they charge you shitloads of money to do that as well. Oh, mate, don't even like some of the quotes from some of these, like we're talking 500 plus. One of yours yeah. was like 750, 800 something. Wait, one of, one of mine was 1400 pounds. Listen, for anyone listening or watching, if if a solicitor ever says, yes, I will witness a signature for £1,400, they're a total dickhead, yeah? Waste man. I I would just report them to the SRA for jokes and be like, they're a dickhead, yeah? Because Mm. that is a stupid amount of money. I understand it goes on their insurance and, you know, there are costs. So I'm not here to say, yeah, it should be a tenner. It should be. But... That's a joke. That costs as much as three of my conveyancing, like with my normal yep. solicitor. So it's like fucking mad. Um, but yeah, the legal advice, it, you know what? It should all be DocuSign. It should all be video. 
like legal advice again it's one of these things it's just for the insurance like you know we've heard it so every bridge i get i have to sit there you know they're going to repossess you do you know they have a floating yes yes i do yes yeah i understand sign it's just for their insurance so they can go at the solicitor or well i can't have a defense right i can't be like oh i didn't understand it i signed it because like the property course told me to once you have ila you're an idiot you're liable now so it, it is very irritating that they don't do that and i think what you said about the bigger firms it makes sense i guess smaller firms are more relationship focused more keeping in touch with like their customers and what they're doing right but Mm -hmm. do you think after this COVID-19 outbreak which has shown us how important like digital um, legality is do you think lenders are going to change and come into 2020 or are they still going to be in the 70s uh no i think they need to come into 2020 man because this is this is needed we've needed this to be disrupted for a long long time it's one of those things that really slows people down you know you set up a you find the deal, you're ready to go, you've got your build team, you know, and it's always the legal shit that messes people up. You know, in the independent legal advice or actually getting solicitors to do stuff, unless you're ringing the solicitors every couple of hours, like if my solicitor says it's going to be done by 10, I'm ringing him at three minutes past 10. Yep. If he says, I'm sending you an email, oh, I was just writing you an email, that old line that they all use. I'll Bullshit. say, where you? And it's like, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay online. Just pop me on hold. I'll wait for that email to come. <laughs> and you've got to start holding them accountable because I think it's got to a point now where these guys have had it good for too long. Mm. Too, too long. And this shit needs to change. I think, like you just said, with things like DocuSign, things like Zoom now, and I used something the other day, which I used for the first time by London uh, Auction House, which was a, an app called, I think it's Credus, where you actually, you send your witnessing docs in. So they send you a unique code. You download the app. You put your unique code in, which is reference to you. Now they don't, and it makes you take a selfie of yourself. Now this is your photo ID. It then says, touch your head, touch your cheek. So they know it's you doing it. It then asks you to (laughs) scan, scan your passport, take a picture of your passport, picture of driver license and a utility bill. And that is your ID check done. It gets fired over to him in a file. It's countersigned by Credus. And I'm thinking, what a great app. And it's so simple. And we had this technology 10 years ago, maybe even earlier than that. But like wet signatures, I I was getting a bridging loan done. And um, I said to them, they're they're being okay generally. They're still pissing me off, as most people do. They said, yeah, we still, okay, you don't need to get a solicitor to witness it because of COVID, but you still need an independent witness. I said, well, I'm self-isolating at home. My, someone's got symptoms. So I'm at home for two weeks. I literally detailed. I said, do you want me to open my window, pass the document out with gloves and a pen, get my brother to, to, do, the, to do the witness, pass it back in, and then send it off to you? And they were like, and then I was like, yeah, and the post office is also closed. So what do you, and they were like, yes, Ted, that's what you want me to do. I was like, are you for real? Like, what the fuck is this and it's a bridge it's not like you're a real regulated loan you lot are just like money so i was just like this is really silly um they've made exceptions otherwise but it's just like oh also i'm I'm really confused because wet signatures are the easiest things in the world for people to forge like if you receive one of my documents like i don't care how unique my signature is you just scribble with a g or the d and you have signed a document like i don't understand how they're more secure than digital signatures they're not 
straightforward and simple to to forge that. So this whole holy grail of wet signatures is dumb because it's it just digital again, digital you can forge again, but the stuff with the photo and the t- like come on, that's 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 awesome. Like Tide and Starling, all these banks, they do something similar to verify yourself. And you know what? I'm sorry, I forgot to add to that, Ted. When they asked me to scan the passport, they've also got something built into their system where they ask you to scan the cover of the passport and it reads that little chip. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it kind of, it, I suppose it verifies the two things up. And I'm thinking, this is a clever, clever system, man. It is Very it, clever it, system. It is, and I, I don't know, <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know, make property is an old school industry. And like, but... I just don't know why they don't change. I guess because they've never been pushed or had the impetus to change. Cause we're just like, well, it's got to be done. You know, they're giving us money. We're not in a position to be like, mm, hold on, sir. I'm not going to do this. They're going to be like, okay, bye. So it's very hard. Like how do we shift the power and get them to disrupt without missing, losing money ourselves because we will. So it's quite, we're a bit, we're hostages in a way to like this industry, which it's fucking irritating. Look at fintech. Look at insurtech. Look at every like it's so revolutionary. Yet mortgages lenders are literally they have they just don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, but yes, yeah, listers. I think you know what you said is really important. It's like I think you and me hold them accountable like bulldogs. Most people, especially if you're British, it's the whole politically. Oh no, I, I can't call. You know, I've got to wait. Give him. You know, he needs an hour to do. No no nonsense like if, if someone says 10 minutes then literally like you in 10 minutes yeah what's good you, you sent it yeah, yeah i didn't see yeah. i didn't see the email the issue is like i think also well here's it so i do that the first and second time i work with a solicitor after that they get you know they know that i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna come down on them so they kind of like take is or they're like um, we're going to take an hour and then they do it in 15 minutes to stop. You know what I mean? So it, which is quite good. Um, but you have I to, I think you set, that. you set your expectations, haven't you? And I think you need mm. to do that with a solicitor because they will take the piss out of you. And like you said, they're not the Holy grail, you know, you need to hold them accountable. And like, you know, if you're, if you're not that prim proper English man, and you've got a little bit of street man and you a little bit of road <laughs> man, you're going to go down on them because you're thinking to yourself, listen, man, I need my peas. I've got a deal waiting here. I want to move on. I haven't got time for you to go have your one hour lunch when your phone systems are down and all that. What oh, nonsense mate. is this? Oh, we are closed between one and two for lunch. Please call back. No, I'm not calling back. Well, what the hell? <laughs> it's, it's bullshit. And I think like, you know what? It's fine. I looked to so today was the first time because I'm using a new solicitor on one of my bridges because I have to, and I'm, I'm not really going to use them again, you know, based off my experience so far. And I'm going to, I'm going to make this feedback very clear to them. Uh, they've just been too slow. They're fine. And you know, they're entertaining, but they're just too slow and too last minute. Uh, but I saw, cause he copied me in. Cause I was like, when you send in the report, it was meant to be done first thing this morning. And he sent it an hour ago. I was like, that's not first thing. I don't know when you wake up, mate. But yeah. he, he said, I'll blind copy you in. I was like, yeah, please, please. So um, when I looked at like what sort of documents the Bridger asked for from solicitors, and bear in mind, everyone listening, that solicitors charge more for bridging because there's more paperwork. Uh, I looked at what he sent and everything he sent was, so 80% of it was the debenture, the, the personal guarantee, the basically all the stuff that I had to sign 
and send back to him. That was 80%. 10% was like a tick box. Is it freehold? Is it leasehold? Which anyone can do. Then the next one was like a report on title, this holy document. Bro, I guarantee you, you and me could do a report on title for a bridger and they would like they would accept the content of it. So <laughs> this annoys me because the only reason that the solicitor's there for like doing a bridger's like paperwork is for their insurance. It's so that the bridger can say, yep, we've got it under, you know, PI insurance. It's all like bureaucracy because the actual work that solicitors do for bridging, from what I can see, is is not that deep, you know? Like I looked at it and was like, I've done half of this. I've answered these questions for like, so uh, it's just like this bureaucracy of like, and I hope one day that we don't need a solicitor for that. We have like, I don't know, just some sort of intermediary algorithm that checks. So I do the report on tile. I do that stuff. Takes not long at all since I did it anyway. The algorithm checks it and it approves it. That's what I want the future to hold. James, how far off are we from that future? Tell me. Do you know what? I don't, I do not think we're that far off at all. I was speaking to someone we know mutually, Michael Michael Primrose, the other day. Oh yeah, big Mike. Of, uh, yeah. Commercial lending. Yeah, and he mentioned. Yeah, that, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to like you calling him Big Mike, <laughs> but you've called him anyway. <laughs> but yeah, Big Mike. And we were talking the other day, and I think he's developing some really cool stuff in the background. Mm. Uh, you know, f- even through his website, where he's looking at stuff where people can upload documents for an actual approval. So he's doing some really, really nice stuff. And I think this is where it goes to show he's a young guy. He's 25. He's had quite a lot of experience in what he's doing. And he's going to disrupt the market, I think. And so in answer to your question, I don't think it's a long way away. And this is a guy that's putting together a lot of cases weekly for people that want to borrow money. And he Mm -hmm. goes through all the pain himself. And his clients must be going through the pain. So now he's taking that pain and I think he's putting together a decent product. And I reckon he'll be one of the first people that innovate in this field um, mm. and do something amazing. I agree, man. I think like when you look at cause he's, um, he's like a what, diamond member at PPN Nicebridge, like a co-host. So you've probably seen him there. So we always catch mm-hmm. up like every month and yeah, like the stuff he does, even his like um, QR code to go onto the chat bot, like he's definitely doing some really interesting stuff. And I'm glad that he is someone bloody has to. But my issue is I still think we are very far off from uh, NatWest uh, Foundation, Kent Reliance doing stuff that is savvy and tech and letting their solicitors get over this whole we love wet signatures, rubbish fetish they have. Like, so I think we're still and also I guess it's insurance based as well. We have we have to also have insurers change. We have to have Lloyds of London change, you know, we have to like, and have underwrite. So I think there's so many changes behind mortgage lending and lending and, and business that I think like, you know, having a Monzo bank of property, which would just be a dream come true. I think we're like three years plus away, but I'm, I'm a bit more pessimistic than you probably. Mm. I don't know. But you know what? Having said that, with what's going on at the moment with this pandemic, you can see how quickly they're able to change systems, processes and bring new Mm -hmm. laws in if they need to. And I think, I honestly feel after COVID-19, once it's over, there's going to be some big changes. Like you just hit on the head where you said Monzo. We were talking about banks the other day, you know, like people like Revlut. I think it's going to be the kind of specialist lenders that will bring these systems out first. You know, some of the kind of independent banks. And then I reckon the big boys have to follow suit. 
Yeah, I think you're right because like using Monzo and Revolut as examples, they do stuff like, <clears throat> I think Revolut does a thing where if you're not close to your card, like within a meter, it won't work, like security features, which is, I mean, makes a lot of sense, right? And Monzo do a few other bits like tracking your budget. So they did this like what, two, three years? I think they're that old, Monzo and Revolut. I think it was six months ago, I saw an advert from some dead high street bank here and they were like, we've got budgeting and pie charts on our online app now. Like you can, we're revolutionizing budget. And I watched it and I thought, these guys are not for real. I was like, is this a real advert? I was like, yo, like we've been millennials. We've been doing this for like, the last two years. What? And then another bank came out and were like, we've got location-based security. You can freeze the card from your app. And I was like, this is old. You lot are acting like you're revolutionaries, but you are incumbent and you've just, you're finally caught up. And it was just mad to see these adverts be so like, oh, look at our sexy new feature. And it was like, it's still crap. And it's not new. Like it, it, so I think, yeah, I think what you said there is spot on. It will happen. It will be the little, little underdogs, you know, like, like Primrose who, you know, obviously compared to NatWest, there's a whole difference, but, and then it will permeate into the kind of bigger people. So, with you know with COVID-19 a question people ask me a lot is well there's two so the first one is are you still buying James are you right now as of what are we today April the 1st so tell the truth mm-hmm. April Fool's Day are you still like on right move looking at are you ready with money to buy if the right deal comes along I will be buying yeah I've got a number of properties under offer at the moment they've been uh, they've been under offer just before COVID-19 and I'm hopeful now some of these landlords, you know, these big old boys that have had this stuff for a long time. That's your question. I'm going to carry on as normal. You know, I think I am going to watch the market a little bit more uh, before I make some decisions. But uh, if some of those stuff there that's under offer comes through, I'll, I'll still go ahead with it. You say the right deal. Our deals depend on, and I think most people's deals depend on resale value or revalue value. How do you know it's the right deal when you don't know what house price is? I know we never know what they're going to be, but how do you know when we're so uncertain and it's so unpredictable what your end values could be in one, three, six months? How is it then the right deal for you? you, How are you factoring that in? See, for me, I've got a dual strategy. Now, my strategy is I have in London, I will buy land, I'll build a house, refinance it, and I hold. Everything we build in London, we never sell, we hold it. Up in the Northeast, it's more a cash flowing model. So I'm not really concerned with capital appreciation up there because I know it's going to be mega slow. In fact, it it may not even occur. But because I've got a cash flowing model up there, I know that when I'm looking at a deal for the Northeast, if it's cash flowing and it works with the model of our HMO model, then yeah, I'll go ahead with it because I'm not really too concerned about in 10 years time what it's worth. I'm more concerned in how much money is it going to be making me every month, every year, or every five years. Down south now, the other thing down south for me, if we build a house and say worst case scenario, we've bought the land, we've built it, we've gone over budget, say we spent 490 grand on it and it gets valued at 500 grand. I'm not really too concerned. People will think, oh, you've only, it's only gone up by 10 grand. What have you really made? But no, because I'm refinancing it for 75% of the cost, I'm pulling my money out. I don't mind having a bit of equity in that property because I know in 10 years time, that 500 grand property, I've seen it previously where I've got property that's been bought for way below half a million pounds. And in 
11 years time it's worth 1.2 1.3 million it does happen you know so i know in london yes you'll have dips you'll have ups and downs my strategy is if i know it's cash flowing up in the northeast i'm going to carry on buying it and down here it's not really that much of an issue what the end value is even if after all the cost the build cost it is actually the cost of what it's worth okay that makes sense i think in your case you have the cash and are happy to leave a certain amount in. Whereas I think a lot of people listen, well, a lot of people maybe who are newer or who are using investors money are, are not happy with that, which is where the wobble comes, right? Because it's like, if you're using investors money and you've got to return all of it in X many months, most of the time it's 12, but let's just say six, whatever, different loans at different time periods, different end dates, you know, you then, you then have to fill that gap. And if you've got a, a 10% down val or 15% down val, depending on where you invest and your circumstances, that's a lot of cash that you now haven't got. It's nice to have equity, great, happy days, but I've got you know, Mr. and Mrs. over here waiting for their money back. So I think that's where the, the tricky element comes in. What you're saying is the ideal situation for most, which is like, yeah, the market will change, but for now I'm happy to leave in a bigger amount because I know in X many years, but then up North is a different story because, you know, even getting a small down valve, even if you only leave in five or 10 K more, it does change your ROI or your return on cash left in. So <clears throat> I, I understand the, the trickiness and why people are not buying or why people are like, okay, hold on, hold on. Let me just see. Let's just, you know, cause the economy has literally like tanked there. What is the economy? Because businesses on it like it's mad in like two weeks we've gone from capital of the world to zero 0.1 percent of bank interest rate like it's just crazy so another question people say is and this links to that what do you think about house prices now i always say fuck knows like there's there's a hundred arguments for why they could rise and there's a hundred arguments for why they could drop there's hearsay, there's rumors, there's, oh, Rick said this, oh, mortgage broker said this, oh, my dog's uncle in the army said this. Fucking hell. What are your views on, you know, house prices in the next six months? I I feel in London, yes, you are going to have a dip because I've seen it before. I saw it in 2008 because we, we bought some good bits in 2008. We also bought some good bits in 2011 when we had a little tiny dip then. Um, but as with London, it's a crazy one because it will dip, but as, as quick as it dips, it goes back up again, you know? <laughs> and let's face it, they're not, you know, like we've said this before, we're on a tiny island. We're running out of places to live in. You know, we can't build more land, you know? And I, I honestly feel, yes, there will be a slight drop, but I don't feel it's going to be a ma- anywhere major. It's not going to be major like people think. If you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm going to wait for the house prices to drop because I'm going to get a bargain. No, nah, man, you might save a little bit of money. You're not going to be saving like 100 grand or 200 grand. I don't think it's going to be to that kind of level whatsoever. Interesting, because like the last crashes or dips were because of like credit problems or like economy problems. But this is because of sort of humans shutting down the economy and there's no choice. I guess when you have a, an economy problem, you can solve it with quantitative easing or with all this, all this corrupt stuff governments do. You can solve the, the problem. But when humans are locked at home, it's quite difficult to solve. Right? And I think that brings the uncertainty. That brings the, 
what is going to happen because yeah we can learn from 0708 crash and 94 or whenever the other one was or whatever but this is the first this is a lesson so when we have viruses again in the future which we will have many uh we will learn from this right and then we'll have this discussion in 10 years and be like oh the next virus is out what did we learn from the last virus so i think it's like you're buying your first house doing your first podcast like it's a, such a learning experience you're just like the hell do i do it's so new right so um COVID-19, how are you coping at home? How are you coping on a personal level with this stuff? Have you isolated yourself away from your kids and your family into this loft room or are you down there in the (laughs) trenches? Mate, I wish I could isolate myself up in this loft. I've actually, you know, between me and you and the listeners, I've actually thought about faking some symptoms because I can just stay up there on my own. (laughs) But, you know, obviously I can't be doing that. Now, I've said it to many people. I said, listen, if COVID-19 doesn't kill James, his kids are going to kill him. It's that (laughs) stressful. So big up all, firstly, big up all the parents out there that are at home isolating. Why are you putting your hand up? Well, respect to them. (laughs) Respect to them. (laughs) I thought you were going to say you got a little nipper running around. But if you've got kids... And you're in self-isolation, it's even harder because, you know, um, they're just running around everywhere and they're just all over the show. Me and my wife, now, what we did, first of all, in the first week, we set up a, um, so we looked at our time block for the week. We actually set up an Excel time block that looks at when we wake, when we go to sleep. And we've had to equally split our work time. So we've got morning work blocks, evening work blocks, you know, and we've been, we've had to be very regimented with it because, She's a teacher, but she's still having to put together uh, lessons and stuff that needs to be submitted onto Google Classroom because the kids are having to learn and Mm. and still carry on with school. In terms of um, how it's done for us as a family, yeah, it's been difficult because we've had to allocate certain time when she can work, allocate certain time when I can work. We've also had to try and block in certain things that we can do with the kids. Now, there's not much we can do with our kids, you know, and... (laughs) Even yesterday, like we got a post box at the end of the road. It was, it's quite late at night. I needed to post some documents. And we took one of the kids with us. Just, and the kids are going crazy. They're like, whoa, I'm having a great time. I'm just walking down to the post box, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, it must be hard for them because, you know, they're, they're quite used to being out. They're quite used to yeah. playing, playing around and doing all sorts of things. Would I say productivity levels have gone down? No, I'd actually say they've gone up, which is weird because – when you've only got a set amount of time, like my slot is a morning slot. So I get between eight o'clock and one thirty in the afternoon, which okay. is a decent slot. But then in the afternoon, I've got to go downstairs, sort the kids out, get the lunches <laughs> sorted so that my wife can work. So it has, we've had to readjust in terms of putting time plans together. We've had to readjust in terms of when we're cooking, when we're getting the kids down, we've had to put some kind of regime in. We can't just let them run wild as if they're in a zoo because they were quite happily just, you know, eat milky buttons, eat quavers and just watch uh, Mr. Blippy all day long. Mr. Blippy, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a new thing. I remember SpongeBob when I was a kid. SpongeBob is still good, to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really, that's interesting. And I think it's, it's probably a good way to do it because at least you'll leave this saga if you weren't already being even more regimented and structured with your day that like you'll naturally just be more efficient. You'd hope once this is kind of out. Right. But mm. I can't even imagine like I get distracted just by life as it is. Like I can't imagine two little kids or uh, like, 
I, I can't even imagine it, mate. So yeah, mad respect to the parents who are doing it because, um, yeah, kids. I mean, I, I was a kid not too long ago. Pain in the ass, mate. Like uh, I know that <laughs> from from first hand experience. Like I would not want to be looking after me. Right. So James, you know I what? Think, Sorry, Ted. Just to add to that, one thing I would say. One thing that's been a real, real positive out of this as well. I've seen that we've. You, when you're sitting down and eating, it's been some real quality family time where mm. we don't have that in the past. You know, when you just take everything for granted in life where you just yeah. think, oh, I'm only having dinner. Now dinner's become a bigger thing, you know. Mm. Lunch has become a big thing and breakfast has become a big thing because you're thinking, I'm actually sitting down together <laughs> and doing stuff together, you know. So it's quite, it's actually quite special. And things that you normally take for granted, like you said, I've got quite a regimented structure myself. I'm up at a certain time. Now I'm really appreciating going out for a run because you're thinking, the government's told me I can only go out once a day for exercise. <laughs> and it could be snowing out there. It could be freezing cold. I'm still going out every single morning because I'm thinking this is my only outing. I think this is what it must feel like for people in prison, you know, to get that one hour to go out and get the exercise. And they love it in prison. I'm thinking you could kind of relate it to that. Um, in a, I mean, there's no risk of you getting shanked or dropping the soap. So I yeah. think maybe, <laughs> so I think maybe it's a little bit, just a little bit better, maybe just a bit. Um, but I understand your parallels there. Right. So uh, anything else to cover? How are you coping? I mean, to be honest, I work from home anyways, like like m- most people listening do. I've had to not be at my grandparents' house where I normally have my home office set up. So I'm in a different environment at my mum's house, which is fine. I've got my office chair and everything over there set up. So I'm okay. Uh, I'm not in my prime working environment, but the only thing is I haven't seen my missus in like, I don't know, two or three weeks and it won't be another three, four weeks, maybe minimum. Um, so that's the own, that that's the most difficult. The rest of it, I miss the gym. I really miss the gym, but I mean, I spend 80% of my time indoors anyway. Like, so I, I don't know, like just, I'm struggling to answer your question because I'm not really, you know, like there's no really any, any distractions at home. Like, yep, family are here, but I'm just getting on with it. They're getting on with it. They've been going shopping. It's okay. Got my posh bread, got my cheese. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's been okay. And I think the business, again, I, I always keep a cash reserve for times like this, which mm-hmm. I didn't predict this or anything. I'm not a Simpson, but like, you know, we're okay for now. And obviously thanks to you, big man. <laughs> because quick story for the listeners i uh exchanged on an auction property last thursday maybe thursday before i hope it was last thursday and i was gonna get it bridged but basically i didn't get it in with the bridger quick enough and they shut off all new applications so i was like oh cool 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 um cool <laughs> gotta find well 28 or 39 grand plus refurb in four weeks because it's auction i could have extended but me and this auction house are tight so i was like no way we is completing so i was asking everyone for money and i don't know if you found the same when looking for investors but right now it's it's, it's tough like because people are like well i'm happy to lend you the money but uh, you're putting it into a house which who knows what it could be worth not everyone sort of sees the long long vision or the exit strategies or the margins and fortunately, you found me an investor 
which I'm very, very grateful for. But this, this brings up the power of network because yeah. you, like me, are a property investor, right? The natural assumption would be Tej is never going to loan me money because he's buying houses. Jane's never going to loan me money because he's buying houses. But actually, you and another property investor who's same as us, like property buyer, have loaned me money. And not you, but the person you introduced me to. But you, you two are the last people by profile that I or anyone would think would loan you money because you're like, no, James would take the money himself. But you don't know who knows who and who has what. So I always ask, even my property buyer friends who are, who are buying four houses a bloody month, I'm like, yo, you want to invest? Like, because you just never, ever know. And actually, you and this other guy have rescued me out of situations. But you're, again, the last people you would go to and you're the last people that a property course would tell you to ask, right? So yeah. my message is, you know, for, uh, raising funding right now is very difficult unless, well, I, don't, I think it's just difficult generally right now because of coronavirus, but utilize who's in your existing network already. Even if it's just an idea, even if you turn around and say, Ted, have you thought about X, Y, Z, which like people have done. And I had a few quotes for bridging as well that were mad expensive. Um, it, it all comes from your network. So yeah, I think now is a good time to strengthen the network, have Zoom calls, you know, call people, see how they're doing. Um, but yeah, coping okay, to be honest. I mean, it's just, I'm well fed and the heating is kind of on sometimes. So, I mean, what else What else does a boy need? I don't know, really. Yeah, yeah. Just to, sorry, just to touch on that point of networks. Yeah, I think it's very, very important. It's like, um, you meet people, you know, get them onto your WhatsApp, get them into your phone contacts, because there's times when I've needed help and I could just reach out to yourself. You know, I've messaged you at night asking you a question and you've been able to give me that information. Or I've got a solicitor on my WhatsApp that I can ask a question or mm. I've got my accountant there, you know, your power team. And don't be afraid, like you said, to ask people, you know, ask people, say, hey, man, can you help me out? Or do you reckon you might know someone? Because you just do not know. And one thing I've learned is do not judge a book by its cover because <laughs> you could be talking to a guy who looks like he hasn't got 10 pence to his name and he could be your biggest and your best investor, you know? So treat everybody the same, um, you know, show everybody the same level of respect because you just don't know who you're talking to. And this happened to me. I've been speaking to people where you automatically form an opinion on me. You think, now, nah, who is this scraggy old dog? And it turns out, He's liquid for you. a million, million. <laughs> <laughs> he's liquid for a million or a million and a half, and he's quite happy to fund you for three or four, uh, three or four hundred thousand pounds. You know, and you think, whoa, I could have automatically just have palmed this guy off and thought, no, nah, no, nah, he ain't, he ain't gonna help me. He don't know shit. And it turns out he becomes your biggest investor and allows you to grow your portfolio to a size that you could only have dreamt of. Mate, I swear the richest people have like stains on their clothes they wear crap clothes because they're spending money investing and all the broke people spend money trying to look like they're rich right mm. stunning so often it's like it's totally shifted the guy on instagram posing with a lambo in a gucci bag i just think hmm but then you look at some person who might meet at a networking event it looks a bit old school maybe i think hmm you look a lot more wealthy than this stunter with a rented lamborghini which makes no sense, but it does make sense in the world we're in. So yeah, man, totally like do not judge a book by its cover. You never know who has what. So should we end this here? Yeah, I think so. So you and me are going to do another time, like a podcast 
on mine and on yours and we're going to get it video recorded as well in person i hope Mm -hmm. by your video your cool videographers with all the editing and shit so that will come out soon but for everyone listening uh please subscribe to ted talks and subscribe to the j2 hub podcast uh and how can people get hold of you james if they want to they want to chat to you uh, guys, you can get me on Facebook or Instagram. I'm always happy to have a chat with someone. Uh, I've made some serious mistakes in the past. I've lost a lot of money. So if there's anything I can do to help anybody out there to stop them making the same mistakes I've made, I'm very glad to have a conversation. You know, especially now where you're at home, I've got certain allocations in my diary where I will have a conversation with someone. If I can help you, I'm more than happy to help you. So yeah, reach me out or reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, it's uh, James Sohota, just search James Sohota, and I'm the handsome bearded man, as you can see. <laughs> Brown James. Uh, yeah. And I'm Tej Talks, Tej.Talks, Tej Singh, and also, you're watching this on YouTube as well, so subscribe to the channels, and like, and leave a comment, any questions, put them in the comments, and we shall answer. Good stuff. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub Podcast with James Sohota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.